0: You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at Christwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk. How is everybody doing on this wonderful Palm Sunday? Yeah, a couple people are excited. A couple people. That's good. That's good. Um, it's really good to see you guys and I am excited about being here and sharing with you, um, this morning. Looking forward to, uh, Easter and, um, as we kind of turn the page here this, uh, today and, and head into Holy Week. Excited about, um, Good Friday coming up and then celebrating with everyone on a Resurrection Sunday here in a week. It's going to be a good time and I am pumped. Um, but if you got your Bibles or a smart device, Um, I want to invite you to turn with me this morning, or or you can swipe with me, to um, the the New Testament. Um, And we're actually going to look in two places. The first place we're going to look is in um, one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke. Um, that's the first four books of the, of, of the New Testament that we call the Gospels. We call them the Gospels because gospel means good news. And the reason those four books in particular are such good news is because they tell of the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look in just a moment in Luke chapter 22. And so then maybe you want to uh, put a finger there or a bookmark there and then flip over to a little bit deeper into the New Testament um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, Paul's first letter letter to the Corinthians, and we're going to take a look there as well. Um, So while you're turning there, um, uh, here recently I was listening to a podcast. This is one of the podcasts that I I listen to quite regularly, and um, at the risk of being morbid, I can't exactly remember how the conversation went this way in this particular podcast, but they got on the subject of what would you eat? Uh, for your last meal, what would you eat for your last meal? So um, that kind of got me thinking about it, and I've I've kind of gone back and forth, like, um, you know, kind of uh, where I would land. And so I'm just going to kind of talk through some of the things that I've thought about, and maybe let you come up um, there with yourself, kind of how you would answer. But I've gone back and forth, like, do I want something home cooked? Um, like, you know, something that my wife would make, or do I want to go out maybe to like my favorite restaurant? Um, would, would I indulge in something that would be like a guilty pleasure or, or comfort food? Um, or would, would I try to be responsible and have my last meal be something a little bit more, you know, health conscious? Uh, is it something I wonder, like as I've processed through this, is it something that I would eat regularly or would I, would I try to go after something that I've always wanted to eat, but I've never had the courage or maybe the opportunity to try before, um, I, I think, like, would, would I want to go out for something, like, really expensive and glamorous, you know, like, one of those places where the prices are really high, but the portions are very small, um, or would I want to go, like, off the dollar menu and just get, like, a whole bunch of stuff, you know, like, take, like, $10 and just just do it up right, um, I also had this thought, like, maybe it would be cool to just skip the entree altogether and just go straight for the dessert. You know, I mean, it's your last meal, right? Um, If it were on a Sunday, if your last meal was on a Sunday, would you insist that it be Chick-fil-A? Is that how, you know, is that how you would do it if it was your, your last meal? I was talking to my son Luke about it, and, and I said, what would you want for your last meal? And he said that he um, would ask for McDonald's ice cream because that would give him the best opportunity to prolong his life indefinitely, since their ice cream machines are always, always <laughs> broken. But it's not just the meal, it's, it's who, who am I going to share it with? Um, who am I going to share this meal with? Uh, wh- whatever I partake in, who's going to be there at the table with me? Um, you know, I would definitely want my family, my wife, my two kids. Um, our dog Millie. I would want her to be there. Um, maybe for you. Maybe it's some. Maybe it's some friends. Some people. And you don't have to raise your hand and acknowledge yourself. But somebody's like, I just want to be by myself. Be like the first time in my entire life that I could just be alone and peace and quiet and just enjoy this meal for what it is. And and when um, when we come on Luke chapter twenty two, we find Jesus ultimately in this same position. And, and you and I, we probably, the majority of us, we probably won't have the luxury or perhaps the burden to be able to choose specifically what our last meal is going to be and, and who it's going to be with. But Jesus was in this position and he did get to choose what his last meal was going to be, where it was going to be, and who it was going to be with. And Luke records in his gospel this way in Luke chapter 22, starting with verse 7. He says, now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. And he replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him at the house that he enters. Say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? Verse 12. He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. And when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Verse 16, for I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And so here in this passage that is is included here in Luke, it's also shared with us in the other gospels, is a recording of Jesus' last meal before his death. And he chose to share in the Passover meal with his disciples. And at the table that day ultimately was nothing really special, nothing grandiose, nothing glamorous. It would have just been food common to the day. And in fact, The only two things that are brought up that 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 are mentioned that were on the table or that Jesus that Jesus used in um, in in this passage were bread, which at this point would have been unleavened because of the Passover celebration and then wine. And Jesus took this bread, and he took this wine, and he shared it amongst his disciples. And he told them in, in a very powerful statement that we hear kind of thrown around in church circles a lot, particularly when we're talking about communion, um, which today is Communion Sunday. And as we turn our attention toward Easter and to the work that is going to be, um, as we celebrate the work that was done by by Jesus um, in this coming week, uh, we think a lot about that. And he he says this phrase, do this in remembrance of me, or do this to remember me. And so it was at this moment that Jesus is there gathered with his disciples, and and he was going to be the fulfillment of the Passover, and so we 'll dig into um, exactly what that means uh, a little bit later, but um, this this would have been the day that um, that the Lamb would have been sacrificed in order uh, for for the the Jews to experience the Passover meal, and as Jensen Franklin once powerfully quoted um, that day there in that upper room, the lamb wasn 't on the table, the lamb was seated at the table as the fulfillment of the Passover. And Jesus is giving them these instructions and he's telling them that he's, he's saying, this is our last meal together. I'm not going to participate in this meal any longer until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he was the fulfillment with uh, that, that he was speaking about. And, and the disciples um, were perhaps confused when Jesus said, I want you to do this to remember me. And and they're like, Well, how, how how can we forget you? You're you're right here, you're with us. And and perhaps it was a little bit confusing. They they didn't quite understand yet that Jesus was saying, I want you to do this in, in, in order to remember me. And they're like, But you're right here with us. And see, it was the reason Jesus was doing this, like, think about it, it was his last meal. Before his death. And he, he was around the people that, that he chose to be around. And he could have said and done a whole lot of things. But it's typically like. Think if you were having your very last meal before your death with people of your choosing, you would be very intentional about the things that you did. You would be very intentional about the words that you communicated to those people. And it was Jesus' purpose, it was his intention at this moment that this, this ceremony, this ritual, this celebration that it would be an integral and central part of the church that would be established. If you can remember last week, um, as we closed out our series, also known as, we talked about Jesus telling Peter that on this rock, talking of himself, that he was going to build his church. And so now he's taken uh, another several steps toward that. He's getting ready to go to the cross to endure the passion, and so he is there with his disciples, and, and he's establishing this act as a central and integral part of what his church was going to be built on. In fact, we fast forward just a little bit to the book of Acts. And we find out early on that after Jesus has died on the cross, he's arisen from the dead, and he has now ascended into heaven, and the early church is now established. The day of Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit comes, and it fills the believers, and and Peter preaches, and then at that moment we find out that those that there's several thousand people that that come together and put their faith in Christ in that that early on that very first day and then they continue about doing life together as the church is being built on this earth and they focus really primarily in four areas fellowship means coming together being in the presence of one another, the apostles' teaching, the the proclamation of the word of God, prayer. And then the fourth one of those things that is central, it's foundational to the church is communion or Eucharist. It is the sharing of what Jesus was sharing with his disciples here in this upper room as part of the Last Supper. Excuse me. So, we continue that tradition that was established as part of the early church we're we're continuing that today a couple thousand years later in fact today is communion sunday here Christ Walk Church, and and we do it uh, uh, in in a way that a lot of other churches do it, the fourth Sunday of the month or or just one Sunday a month. We participate in communion together. There are other churches that do it maybe every week that they gather. Here, we, we participate in it together as a body um, once a month on the fourth Sunday, uh, we would also uh, participate in communion during special services like coming up on Friday night for our Good Friday service. We're going to take communion again um, with each other. A lot of families in our church may gather around the dinner table, um, on the weekends, maybe like for a Friday night Shabbat meal or something like that, and would participate in communion with their family or with friends that have gathered. Um, I know that in our life group, um, and, in some of the life groups that, that you all lead and attend that, that you take communion together as part of the body. And, and it is, it's an ancient tradition that has now taken on new meaning through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so as we, as we kind of see this scene happening that we know, many of us know, as the Last Supper, this is, this is what is happening. Jesus wasn't introducing anything new to them. This would have been something they would have partaken in as part of the Passover celebration, the Passover meal. But Jesus is taking this, this um, ancient tradition and he's putting a new meaning on it because he was the fulfillment of that Passover. And then we look at Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul gives us guidelines and instructions as as to how the established church is supposed to handle Communion on a regular basis, and these guidelines still apply to us today because what was happening in the Corinthian church is they had kind of made communion out to be something that it wasn't supposed to be, and they were handling it improperly and going about it all the wrong way. And so, Paul's writing them and he's saying, Hey, you need to you need to get this back in order and in line. You need to you need to fix this um, because Paul, uh, even though he wasn't at the table that evening for the Last Supper, he had no doubt experienced a firsthand account from some of those that were gathered at that table and the oral tradition that had been passed down, which causes Paul to write this to the church in Corinth, First um, Corinthians chapter eleven, beginning. With verse 23, Paul says, For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this In remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Verse 27. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Now, skipping down to verse 33, Paul says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other, or be considerate of those that are gathered around you. Thank you very much. Let's give it up for Doug. It's the pollen. It's killing me. So um, Paul gives these instructions for how we are to continue to carry out um, this, uh, this this ceremony, this celebration within the church, and so um, when when we when we come to the table, the table where communion is is um, is prepared, uh, the the body and the blood, the bread and the wine. When when we when we gather at the table, that's how that's how the the church, uh, big C, not just little C. That's how the church comes together. Um, we, we are to come together, that that is the thing that, that unites all believers in Jesus Christ. This is, this is central to our belief in Jesus. And so there is a way that we are supposed to conduct ourselves. There's a way that we are supposed to handle things. And, and when we come to the table, uh, Jesus is very specific that, that we are supposed to do one thing in particular, and that is to remember that is to remember. So when we come to the table, the first thing that we need to do is we remember. And, and to remember means to recall to memory. When we remember something, we recall it to memory. We bring it back up from our memory banks, and and we we think about it. We we put it. It's, it comes into the forefront of our mind. Maybe we would even share orally about a particular memory. But but that's what Jesus says. He says when you do this as often as you do this with any regularity that you do this that that there was an expectation on us that as the church that we would do this with some sort of regularity and that when we do that we would. Remember we would recall to memory and and the way that we do that is first, um, we remember by looking backward, we remember by looking backward because what what Jesus is is ultimately what he was communicating to his disciples at, at this particular juncture and and then what what Paul was admonishing the church in Corinth and ultimately us is that this is not just a religious routine it's not just something that jesus said hey do this just because it's something cool to do which it is something cool to do but there is a why behind the what and it's it's not just because jesus was just making something up I told you that he was sitting there that day at, at that, that last supper, that he was the fulfillment of the Passover. And so what he was doing for his disciples and, and the pattern that he was establishing, that he was setting up for them and ultimately for us is that we are to look backward. And we go all the way back to nearly the beginning of the Old Testament to the book of Exodus, where we find the Israelites and they are enslaved in Egypt. And they go to, uh, to Pharaoh, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he's saying, you know, let my people go and we wanna go out and we wanna worship and, and everything. And the plagues come and, and all this bad stuff is happening to the Egyptians because Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he's refusing to let the Israelites go. And, and, and God tells Moses to tell the people that this other plague is coming and that he's going to strike down the firstborn in the land. Every firstborn um, is, is going to be struck down. They're going to be killed. And so he gives specific instructions for, um, for, how, uh, for how the the, uh, the Hebrews, the, the Israelites, how they are to handle themselves in order to um, for there to be a covering over their household so that they can be protected from this plague of the Lord. In Exodus 12, um, we record this. While the Israelites... We're still starting in verse 1. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat the whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month. And then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. And they are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. that same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, and internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against the gods of Egypt for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And this plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt." This is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. He was reminding, Jesus was reminding the disciples of their heritage. He was reminding all of us of of, of the why behind the what, of this Passover celebration that had been uh, uh, initiated by God through, Through Moses to the people of Israel so that when the death angel came, it would see the blood that was smeared on the doorpost and they, their families would be spared. Jesus was getting ready to get up from that table and to go and endure the pain of death on the cross so that by his blood that was shared, everyone that would put their faith, their hope, their trust in him as Lord and Savior, they could be spared from experiencing the death. Uh, he 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 was he was going to step in as the living breathing fulfillment of the Passover that we no longer had to sacrifice sheep and goats, but instead he was the once and for all sacrifice and that 's what he 's trying to he 's trying to paint this picture for his disciples so that they can see and then he 's establishing this as something that is going to continue on after his death as part of the church that is established. And, and when it comes to communion, when it comes to coming together at the table of the Lord and partaking of his body through the bread and, and his, his blood through the juice or the wine, uh, we've got to realize that this can never merely become something that we just do because it's foundational to who we are. So it's not just something that we just do, that, that we just flippantly participate in. It is connected to our history, and it is actually woven into the fiber of, of the entire story arc of the Bible that points to, from the very beginning, points to Jesus, his death on the cross, and then who we would become because of that death. So it's not just something that we do. It is, it is uh, central to who we are as the church, as believers in Christ. And so whenever we come to the table, first we look backward. And it's our responsibility, we bear the responsibility of passing on this knowledge to both new believers and generations that are still yet to come those that are going to have children. And it's our responsibility as parents to pass down this to our kids so that they understand this is not just something that we do. It is foundational to who we are. And we point them all the way back to the beginning. When God set up freedom from slavery for the people of Israel to come out of Egypt because of the blood that was sacrificed, that you and I, we've been given freedom from the slavery of sin because of the blood from the sacrifice. So we start off approaching the table by remembering as we look backward, but then we remember also by looking forward. We remember by looking forward. We remember the words that have been spoken, the words that have been communicated. And so we, we, look, we can look forward from this vantage point because with, with Christ's death on the cross, which is what the table uh, represents, his body that was broken, his blood that was poured out on the cross, with Christ's death, as he spoke there at the end, he said, it is finished, and he breathed his last. With Christ's death, it was finished, but his death was not final. See, there's a difference there. With his death, it was finished but his death was not final. The table points us forward to the resurrection because we know that through the resurrection, Jesus overcame death, he overcame hell, he overcame the grave and he overcame sin and its power over you and me once and for all. And, and so not only does the table point us forward to the resurrection, but the resurrection points us forward to Jesus' return. Because he told his disciples, he told us, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go there, I will return again to take you with me that where I am, there you may be also. And Paul records this in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. And Paul says in verse 18, so encourage each other with these words. I came to encourage somebody today that the table is a reminder that we are living for something more, that the things that we are experiencing in this life, the struggles and the strongholds, the the issues and the difficulty that we have come against. It's only temporary. There is something so much bigger. There is something so much better that you and I can place our hope in that this is not all there is, but that because of the work of Christ on the cross, we are promised his return and that we have that to look forward to. And whether we are here living, breathing in the flesh or we have, we have already died that we are going to be called up and caught up with him that where he is there we will also be forever and ever and ever. So when we come to the table it is a testimony not just of what has been done but of what is going to be done that is yet to be completely fulfilled that we as the believer as the body of Christ that we can look forward to. So we remember when we come to the table by first looking backward, by second looking forward. And then the second thing we do when we come to the table is we remember. Not remember to call to memory, but we remember, which is to put components in their proper place to ensure working order. We remember. We're sure that, that, that everything, the members of Jesus Christ, his body, that, that, that us, that we are where and who we are supposed to be so that we, as the church, as his body, can be in proper working order. The first way we do that is by looking inward, by looking inward. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He responded by saying, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. So when we come to the table to remember, to put things in their proper order, we need to ask ourselves a couple questions. That begins with, how is the condition of my heart toward God? How is the condition of, of my heart towards God? What, what is it or is there anything that is standing in the way of me having a right relationship with Jesus? Am I in the right places? As I I look inward, as I approach the table, am I in the right places? Is is my life positioned properly so that I can be the part of the body of Christ, the part of the church that I've been called to be? We look inward. This same idea that caused David to write in the book of Psalms in uh, chapter 139, where he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is the same posture that you and I are to approach the table with. Remember, Paul says, some of you, you've you've come to the table in an unworthy manner. And so you you must search yourself. You must examine yourself, your motives, your desires, the way that you're living your life. Some of us, when we come to the table, we need to be sure that we're examining our life to expose any unconfessed sin that may reside there. We need to examine our life to to uncover any areas of of untrust or distrust in God. Then when we come to the table to remember, we got to be sure that we're in the right place because we can't fix us if we can't fix me. i got to be in the right place so that we can be in the right place. And so when we come to the table to remember, we first look inward and then secondly, when we come to the table to remember, to be sure that everything is in its proper place. And as the body of Christ, that we're all where we are supposed to be and that everything is in proper working order. We remember by not only looking inward, but we remember by looking around, looking outward. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is equal to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And on these hang all the law and the prophets. So first we examine our own heart, our own relationship with God, the condition of our own heart as it relates to our relationship with God the Father. But then we examine our heart in a different way by asking, how is the condition of my heart towards God? my fellow man. In the same way that we would say, what what sin, what, what unconfessed sin or, or distrust is standing in the way of my relationship with Jesus, we would ask, what is standing in the way of my having a right relationship with others around me? Because what Jesus said, in the greatest commandment, was that we've got to be in right relationship this way with God, and we've got to be in a right relationship this way with man, and we see what that makes, it's a cross, that's why he went to the cross, so that we could be in good standing with others, we could be in, in good standing with God the Father, and, and that is what these elements represent, his work on the cross, and on those commandments, on those principles, hang everything else. And so when we come to the table to remember, we have to ensure that we're in the right place in our relationship with God and that we are in the right place with our relationship with others. And Jesus' most famous message called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, he says this. He says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and suddenly you remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Can't help but think that as we prepare to come to the table knowing that it's not just some perfunctory religious exercise that we're going to participate in, that there, there's something more, there's something deeper, that, that it's central to who we are as believers in Jesus, that as, as we put ourselves in a position to examine ourselves, I, there's probably some spouses that need to get together and say, hey, we, we got to get this figured out so that we can go to the table together in right standing in our relationship. There, there's probably some some parents, some kids that need to come together, that, that need to get things in right relationship and working order. Maybe there's some people that, that need to need to um, uh, ask forgiveness of, of a coworker or perhaps a neighbor. Get that in right working order so that we're able to, to come to the table in an appropriate manner. Maybe it's even someone that you don't even know. It's that guy that cut you off in traffic and you gave him the one-finger salute. You're not in right standing with that person. You need to examine your heart and be sure, is there anything in here that is blocking any of those relationships around me? Is there any attitude that I've taken on, any, any mindset that I've adhered to? It's keeping me from being in a right relationship to my fellow man. And I, I need to be sure that that, that is in, in right and in working order when I come to the table. The good news is, is that that's what the table is all about. The table is where forgiveness and freedom and healing and wholeness is found. The table is the thing that, that brings us together. It, it unites us all across boundaries and borders. The table is central to who we are as the body of Christ. And it is his body and his blood that brings us all together. if i had to if i had to kind of narrow this down into kind of one thought or one idea as to why this is so important particularly now is that that right here now probably more than ever in the world in which we live it would be this the reason this is so important is because a divided world needs a united church Now more than ever, a divided world needs a united church. That that as the church, we are united in Christ as part of the body. Because when we look around, when we watch the news, when we walk down the street in our community, we see division at every turn, political, social, racial, economical, even within the church, denominational. Here's the here's the thing is that Satan's plan, his desire, is that we be divided or that we be separate. That's how that's that's how he operates. That's how he picks us apart. He feasts on the weak and the hurting and the broken ones of us. Those that, that he can manage to, to isolate away from the rest of the pack. That we're not united together. And, and, and when when he does that, the Bible tells us that he has come to, to steal, to kill, and to utterly destroy. That's his plan for our life. And it starts with this unity. And I... I can think of no better place that Satan wants disunity to rule and reign than right here within the church. Not just this building, but within the body of believers that makes up the body of Christ. So as we consider this today, as we prepare our hearts to come to the table, to partake of his body, and His blood today, as as we as we get our minds right and our hearts set for for Holy Week, and as we enter into um, preparations for Easter, some things that we need to consider: where have we forgotten who we are, and instead allowed the practice of our faith in Christ to merely become just a religious routine, just something that we do to just check off the box. Just got to get past it like one more week. It's one more thing, one more sermon, one more verse, one more, one more now I lay me down to sleep or, or God bless this food to my body. Just one more thing that we're just checking off as a religious exercise, where, where have we forgotten who we are and instead allowed our faith, the practice of our faith, to merely become religious routine? Where have we allowed the situations and the circumstances of this current life to overshadow and overwhelm the hope and the joy that we have because of Christ's imminent return? Where have we allowed the situations and the circumstances of of this current life to overshadow and overwhelm the hope that we have in the promise of Christ's return? Where have we drifted away from God and begun to live life in accordance to our own desires rather than his plan for us? And where have we allowed the enemy to drive a wedge between us and our fellow man, thus forsaking our ability to point them in the direction of Jesus. That's what the table is all about. And as we make preparations to come to the table today, I want you all to understand and for everybody to know, and if you're watching with us online this morning, there is room at the table for everyone. It doesn't matter what your past has been like. It doesn't matter how many sins you've ever committed. It doesn't matter what was taking place in your life last year, last month, last week, or last night. There is a place for you at this table. And when Jesus Christ stretched his arms out on that cross, he said, he opened himself and he said, all are welcome. He stretched his arms out to bring everyone in. And so you need to know this morning that if you're here, if you're within earshot of my voice, you are welcome at this table. But you also need to know that in and of themselves, what we have here, it's just a little, a little wafer and a small cup of juice. In and of themselves, there's, there's nothing overtly special about what we hold in our hands, what you have in your seats there but it's the symbol behind them because just by themselves it's just a little wafer and some juice but to those of us whose faith is in jesus christ this is everything it's everything and so you need to know that you're welcome at the table today these elements just because you you eat this and drink this it It's not what saves you. You're only saved by commission of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So there's room for you at that table this morning, here in the room, watching with us online. If if that's you and you wanna take a seat at this table, the first step is to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you wanna do that today, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer along with me. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.